If you've been going around the good old internet looking for the right podcast to fulfill your New York Yankees needs, well, I'll be the first to deliver the good news to you. You have found it. Here on Yapping Yankees with me, your host, Mike Scudero, you and I will be discussing the latest news, takes, and talk throughout the entire Yankee universe. Oh, and there may be some ranting on my behalf. Yeah. Anyway, what do you say we get to it? Let's get to yapping! Well, hello there, my fellow Yankee fans, and welcome to episode 138 of the Yapping Yankees podcast, where we yap about the Yanks and nothing but those Yanks. As always, I am your host, Mike Scudero, here on the first day of May in the year 2022. What is up, my friends? Episode 138. Eight. Sweet baby Jesus. <laughs> I was just looking at that before starting the recording. I was like, holy crap. We're 12 episodes away from 150 freaking episodes of Yapping Yankees. Holy crap. Wild. <laughs> but anyways, I hope you're all doing well on this Sunday, May 1st. Another month has arrived. It would be hard to tell weather-wise that it's May, since the true warmth, unfortunately, has not kicked in here in New York yet. But I'm doing my best to be patient, despite my unending hatred for the cold and the wind, as many of you know. And it's been so freaking windy here for months now. Oh my god in heaven. So bizarre. And for those of you who don't live in, in the New York area, you probably got to look at that in this past week's games against the Orioles when the bags were just constantly blowing all over Yankee Stadium. <laughs> it's been so windy lately, but I'm trying to be patient with that. Patience can be rewarding. I mean, it's been rewarding with the Yankees as of late for a lot of people. I mean, they haven't lost a game in over a week. We like that, right? <laughs> Like I was talking about last week when talking about both positive and negative habits that we've seen early on here in 2022 in comparison or contrast to last year's team. And there were plenty of both, maybe even one or two things I even forgot to include. But even with all of that, you got to preface it with the fact that it's it's early. So you got to be patient. And we know how the Yanks tend to go hot and cold and hot and cold. Well, right now, they are unstoppably blazing hot. And I am not exaggerating. That's putting it mildly. As they ride a seven-game winning streak going back to the first game of the Guardians series over a week ago, heading into tonight's game. Pitching is still kicking ass all around. Starting pitching and bullpen. Both of them. Even though in the first game of the O's series, the the bullpen had a bit of a meltdown, but hey, there are going to be those nights. You're not going to get perfection every single night of the whole season. And if you had a gun to your head and you said if you had to choose a night to have a meltdown for the bullpen, if you had to choose a night for it to happen, you want it to be on a night when the offense scores 12 runs like they did that night. So <laughs> whatever, it's all good. But they're still doing a fantastic job all around with pitching. Still the lowest overall ERA in the American League. Headed into tonight's game, sitting at 284. So the pitching opening up a can of whoop-ass every night. 
the offense during this winning streak in particular. <laughs> Guys, and of course, there's going to be some exaggeration for effect here, like there often is with me, but just let me enjoy myself, all right? <laughs> Anthony Rizzo, looking like Mickey freaking Mantle lately, with his Major League Baseball leading nine home runs, as the team overall also leads the sport in home runs with 29, by the way. But my boy Forza Rizzo, Anthony Rizzo, with nine already. Nine! The doubters are furious, as are the short porch haters from his three-home run night at the stadium back on Tuesday. Yes, Anthony Rizzo had a three-homer night when he made great use of the shallow right field, the short porch. Again, with those people constantly complaining about it, as if nearly every other ballpark in the sport doesn't have their own quirks, and as if the short porch isn't also there for the opponent to take advantage of, and, by the way, as if Yankee Stadium is statistically overall, with all of its dimensions all around, the most hitter-friendly ballpark, because hint, hint, it's not. Short porch complainers have truly just become, and I've said this on Twitter, but they've truly become the biggest whiners on God's green earth. And I've gone on this rant against the short porch complainers many, many times. But it just never gets, never gets any less funny for me listening to people just constantly complain nonstop about it. But yeah, Anthony Rizzo, like I was saying, back to my original point, <laughs> is in a league of his own right now. Heading into tonight's game, 284 average, 391 on base percentage, almost 400 on base percentage. 703 slugging. 1,904 OPS, almost 2,000. OPS plus of 219. 100 is average for that. Take that into consideration for a second. <laughs> WRC plus weighted runs created of 218. Which means he's creating a whole lot of runs. <laughs> 100 is average for that too, by the way. That would be average for that stat. 218. And 219 for OPS plus. <laughs> Again, granted, it's early, but holy Moses. I don't want to get crazy with the numbers and start to make people contemplate their life and get cross-eyed with the confusion, but my point is, look at any offensive stat for Rizzo right now, and it is murder. The start that this man has gotten off to is remarkable. Also, like I said last week, DJ is back still doing an awesome job with over a 300 average, just hitting the ball hard to all fields, killing it defensively too, even at third base, which they have put him at quite a bit lately. And I didn't expect him to kill it that much at third base. He really has looked good there. I expected okay defense at best there. Second base is his primary position, of course. He also plays first, but second base is his primary position, and that's where he's won his gold gloves. But he's been terrific at third. Aaron Judge. Crushing homers again, left and right, and playing terrific defense as usual, whether it be in right field or center. Stanton, who had slowed, he slowed down for a bit, but he's doing the same. 
Another effortless home run yesterday on Friday in Kansas City. And playing a terrific outfield. He's been out there plenty as well. He's out there in right field tonight because Judge has the night off. Donaldson starting to do a bit more here and there with the bat. But, I mean, he's playing fine at third base. So, even when he does struggle, I guess, with the way this offense has been lately, I guess they could afford to absorb those struggles. (laughs) Aaron Hicks, I mean, we didn't get to see much of him this week because of his paternity leave, but he's doing fine, I guess. I'd like to see him get some more hits with runners in scoring position, but overall he's doing fine. Joey Gallo, still striking out a bunch, obviously, and and having his struggles here and there. I mean, that's just, it's gonna happen. But not only, as you heard last week, did he finally get his first extra base hit and RBI last Sunday against Cleveland, but also this past week, he's finally gone deep a couple of times, which is nice to see. He's a home run hitter mainly, so it's about freaking time. <laughs> and it was also awesome to just see the pure joy on his face. I mean, when they gave him the, the silent treatment in the dugout after his first home run, you just love to see that. A guy struggling, just, you could almost see just the, the all the weight being lifted off their back all at once, literally physically in front of your eyes. You could just see the weight of the world being lifted off their shoulders. It's it's nice. It really is. Very, very wholesome in baseball. Baseball is the best sport in the world for that kind of stuff. And in every other way, if you're talking to me and asking my opinion about it, but you get it. Uh, my guy, Jose Trevino, he's putting in the work. I've become a big Jose Trevino guy, as I said last week already. I've liked him since the acquisition from Texas. And by the way, I'm also pleased to say that tons of people on Twitter and in response to what I said on this show when I said it last week too on here, strongly agreed with my Jose Molina comparison. Love that. Glad I'm not crazy in the eyes of many. A lot of people agreed with that. Basically everybody, actually. A lot of people did. Speaking of catching, like I also said last week, Higashioka, unfortunately, other than last night, Friday, he contributed a bit with the bat finally in the later part of the game, but he's continued to struggle, and even defensively lately a bit, which is definitely unusual. He's known more for his defense, so... I hope to see a bit more of production, even if just defensively, which is, again, what he's known for. And yeah, I came into this season, despite Higashioka's spring training and what he did there, and I gave him his credit for that, but I came into this season, despite that spring training performance, knowing that the Yankees wouldn't get much production from catcher this year. I was upfront about that. Offensively, especially, that they wouldn't, but, I mean, just something would be appreciated. (laughs) So, he's not in the game tonight, Trevino's playing, but I hope he builds off of last night when he is back in the lineup, probably tomorrow. Uh, who am I missing? Um, oh, IKF, Isaiah Kiner-Falefa, still putting the bat on the ball exceptionally well. (laughs) I mean, he's been really good, he's really impressing me, and he's been really good defensively as well. Tim LaCastro's even been pretty solid as utility since returning from the minors, honestly. Marwin Gonzalez. Super utility man, solid as well. Can play any outfield or infield position, obviously, as we know. Six or seven different positions. And he even helped jumpstart the offense again on Thursday in the final game of the O series with that RBI double. Point is, guys, the team is murdering opponents left and right. <laughs> That's the point I'm trying to make here. Even the offense is back. 
And yes, it may be the Guardians, the O's, and the Royals. Not the best of teams. But, I mean, especially in the Guardians' case. I don't know many people bother to look this up, but... The Guardians came into that series at the stadium last weekend being a pretty solid offensive team with a great run differential and leading the AL Central at the time. Again, granted, it's early. But run differential meaning runs scored as opposed to runs allowed, for those who don't know. Which the Yankees, by the way, I should mention really quick here, are excelling in, by the way, this year, thanks to the last week or two mainly. But they have a run differential of nearly 40 now headed into tonight. Huge contrast to last year when the Yanks' run differential and the offense as a whole, as we know, especially at this time last year, was brutal. <laughs> and the, but the Guardians came in hitting last weekend. And the Yanks completely silenced the main catalyst in their lineup, Jose Ramirez most notably, as well as the rest of the Guardians. And they took care of business, as they have been for a little while now, obviously. And another difference to last year now, so far, at this point in time, which could have been a similarity last week, if I didn't forget to mention it then, since they had tried for it against the Tigers a couple of weeks ago and failed, prior to succeeding against the Guardians last Sunday. But now it's a difference, since I'm mentioning it at this point. But that difference is that they are finally completing sweeps now amidst this winning streak. I mean, last year, if you remember, they generally couldn't sweep anybody if their lives depended on it. And after failing to do so against the Tigers almost two weeks ago in a pathetic performance in the third and final game there, we were all saying, here we go again, can't sweep anybody. Well, thankfully, since then, and that's why, as of this week, at least for now, it's a difference in contrast to last year. They've swept the Guardians and the Orioles. Two more against the Royals, including tonight's game, and they'll have three sweeps and a nine-game winning streak. Which would be beautiful. <laughs> but we'll have to see. And in the case of the O's, by the way, when it comes to downplaying wins, which I see some people doing, you know, people are just saying, ah, it's the Orioles. Well, first off, I must say, the... The Orioles' pitching is not brutal this year. Especially Bruce Zimmerman, who doesn't even throw hard at all. Barely even touches 90 a lot of the time, but he locates very well, I've noticed. And a couple of times the Yankees have faced him this year, he locates very well. He was mainly just a victim of bad defense on Thursday behind him, honestly, which helped jumpstart the Yankees' offense. But also... Like I always say, aside from the Orioles pitching actually being a bit improved this year, which some people have brought up, and it's true, but what do I always say? You've gotta beat the bad teams, too. Especially the Orioles, who, I don't know how many times I have to say it, the Yanks' lack of taking care of business against them last year made a ton of difference in the division, in losing it. I really have to say that again? I, I keep on having to remind people of that? I mean, you'll never hear me taking a victory against them lightly, regardless. But mainly because of that. Did you not learn your lesson last year, Yankee fans? Watching what happened take place against the Orioles and having it have the result in the division that it had? You didn't learn your lesson? You gotta beat them. You have to. 
So I don't want to hear any downplaying of these wins, and especially not against the Orioles. I don't care how bad they are. You should have learned your lesson last year if you truly watch Yankees baseball as much as you claim to. Take a sweep and just be happy about it. But aside from that, I don't want to go on a rant. I'm just addressing the fans who love to do nothing but complain. But things are going beautifully right now all around. The Yankees are just playing great baseball in general, which was a rarity last year. And honestly, even the year prior, in 2020 as well, despite it being a weird season. So this is nice to see. And like I mentioned before with IKF, also on a general note, the defense is much improved too. I think they've made like five errors all year so far as a team. I mean, their fielding percentage is beautiful right now. It's amongst the best in baseball. Their defense is locked down. And I'm pretty sure it was four four errors before Glaber on that fly ball to shallow center yesterday on Friday. So, it's all good right now, my friends. It's all good. They're playing a beautiful brand of baseball. I mean, things we love to see, all of this, (laughs) all of it. And to make us even more hyped up, they're just so amped, man. Did you see the entire dugout after Judge's three-run home run yesterday? They're just amped. You can tell they can't wait to get out there and play every day. That's the mentality you need to be a winner. Yes, it's early. But I'm loving what I'm seeing right now. Against good opponents or bad opponents. But just how excited they are, how amped up they are, how hyped they are. I can't get enough of that crap. I'm a sucker for it. Never stop injecting that straight into my veins. Ah, anyway, now that I think about it, before I go any further on this hype train that I can't seem to hit the brakes on, (laughs) I might as well say this now and get it out of the way before we go any further, but in case anyone's confused by me referring to Friday as yesterday, (laughs) yet you're hearing this on Sunday, or you might have heard me say a couple of times, I just realized I said this too, hearing me say tonight's game when the game on Sunday against the Royals is a 2 o'clock day game. (laughs) Remember last week when I told you that I'd be celebrating my brother's birthday at some point this weekend, because his birthday's coming up on Tuesday the 3rd, and at some point this weekend I'd be celebrating it, and it was going to be a game-time decision as to whether I'd be able to even do an episode this weekend or not? Well, it's basically exactly that. That's exactly how it worked out. I... I know what my schedule is going to turn out to be more often than not. I'm good with predicting things with (laughs) just hearing how things are going to go. And I'm going to be like, "Eh, it's probably going to turn out that way. Well, it's exactly like I had said. And we are celebrating tomorrow on Sunday. Or for you guys, if you do in fact listen to it upon its release, this episode. Today, Sunday, for you at least. And the only time, because I'm celebrating his birthday on Sunday throughout the whole day that I could find time to record this episode to get it out to you is Saturday night, which is the point in time that I'm recording at this moment. Even the night game tonight is on right now, as I've been talking about it. It's on right now next to me. Got the TV on. The Yanks are already up 3 to nothing in the sixth inning on a double play ball by Isaiah Kiner-Falefa driving in Glaber and sack flies by Glaber and Isaiah Kiner-Falefa. So, (laughs) those two... 
right in the middle of the scoring so far. And Cole, Garrett Cole, again, after his dominant outing that you even heard me talk about last Sunday against the Guardians, is pitching another scoreless game so far. I think he's done for the night, but just beautifully, just now, just before, escaped a jam with some dots for fastballs right on the corners of the strike zone. Beautiful pitches, and he's looking good yet again. So, killer start against the Guardians, killer start against the Royals today. I'm pretty sure his night's done after that. So, awesome to see Garrett Cole with his second consecutive good start after his rough start to the season overall. And another quick note having to do with tonight's game that's already happened within the last, I don't know, half hour, hour, something like that. Just a quick little note. Joey Gallo is out of the game with some groin tightness. That's what they've reported so far. So we'll see what happens there going forward. They do have their outfield options. I mean, Marvin Gonzalez can play the outfield more often than if need be. They have Tim LaCastro. They even have Estevan Floreal down in the minors. So they got some outfield options to take over for him if this is an IL stint. We're not sure as of yet at the time that I'm taping this episode. So we'll see what happens, but that's just a quick note. I'm pretty sure he might have heard it just busting it down the line down to first base earlier. I guess that's when he heard it, even though I I was looking at him after he had ran, and he didn't seem to wince or just be in any sort of pain. I don't know. Might have happened after that, just started feeling some discomfort in the dugout or, I, I don't know, in the outfield. I'm not sure, but they came out in the bottom of the fifth with Garrett Cole in the mound, and he wasn't out there. Tim LeCastro was in the game, so... Gallo's out of the game with groin tightness. That's the only update as of now. I don't know, maybe more info after the game. We'll see what happens going forward with that, but... I mean, here I am recording on Saturday night. It's late. <laughs> so, you see what I do to get episodes out for you guys? <laughs> I mean, I, I love doing it, but you see what I do for you? <laughs> so, again, even though you're hearing this tomorrow on Sunday on Yapping Yankees' usual release day, that's when I'm releasing, it's still on Sunday, you're not going to be hearing the final results to the game here on Saturday at the time I'm recording. Now, maybe, I don't know, because it's it's the sixth inning right now. If I, rec- if I record for an hour, this is going to be a, sh- a shorter episode, so probably not, but, I mean, who knows? If it still ends up being about an hour, the sixth inning right now, if the game speeds by, maybe we'll get to hear the final results on this episode. But regardless, you may or may not hear the final results of the game with me recording live right here on Saturday night. Who knows? It'd be awesome if you do, but I can't promise anything. Depends on how slow or fast the game goes from here on out in the sixth inning. But you will definitely not be hearing anything about tomorrow's game because that is in the future and I'm recording Saturday night. So... (laughs) Just letting you know for timing purposes so no one gets confused by the wording I'm using here, referring to Friday as yesterday and referring to Sunday as tomorrow. But you're still getting this episode Sunday as usual, tomorrow on the 1st. But I'm recording currently here on Saturday night, April 30th. So just to clear up that potential confusion if anybody was just like, why the hell is he referring to days wrongly? I'm not. (laughs) It's just based on, on what I'm recording. And also, another reminder for next weekend, guys. I already said this last week, but reminding again for those who constantly forget things like myself. Trust me, I feel your pain. (laughs) But Mother's Day, next Sunday, I'm taking the weekend off for the holiday. Alright, so no episode next Sunday the 8th. I'll be back with episode 139 on Sunday, May 15th. Alright, so that's the deal. 
Another reminder, taking Mother's Day off. And then I should be good every Sunday after that until the next Sunday holiday comes up, which is probably Father's Day. Unless I'm forgetting something in between Mother's Day and Father's Day for another Sunday holiday. Pretty sure I'm not, but... If it is just Father's Day, that'll be the next time I'm taking off because like I said, listen, I've done so many holiday episodes over the years, the last three years I've been doing this podcast, and this year I'm, I'm taking the holiday episodes off. I'm so freaking busy with my new job now, and it still takes the effort, although I love to do it, to put out this show every weekend that it does on top of how busy I already am. This year I'm taking holidays off, guys. Any Sunday holiday, I'm taking it off. That's the deal. So next, uh, next Sunday... May the 8th, Mother's Day, taken off. Now, before we get to recapping, which will be the final part of today's show, I mentioned earlier it's going to be a shorter episode, but it's going to be the final part of today's show, the recap, because of the borrowed time I'm on. It's already late here on Saturday night. It's already enough that I'm getting the episode out to you this weekend in the first place, given all the timing that I had to meticulously rearrange just to record this and have it out by tomorrow, on Sunday, today for you. But... In order for it to be a shortened episode, and in order for it to be the last segment with recap, there is no social media segment this weekend. And I already announced that earlier today here on Saturday on my socials, so yeah, no social media segment, and hence why the show should be a bit shorter tonight, maybe anywhere from like the 50 minute to an hour range, but who knows with how much I love to talk and never shut up. It's always up in the air, but (laughs) before we get to recapping, a couple of pieces of news to run by you real quick. It was Judge's 30th birthday this past Tuesday, the 26th. He also had a birthday home run that night against the Orioles. So just wanted to wish a quick happy birthday to Aaron Judge. And from all the social media videos that we got of him celebrating his birthday with his teammates and family and and whatnot. Looked like it was an awful lot of fun. So happy birthday to Judge. Big 30. Time keeps on flying. I remember it like it was yesterday when he came up when he was just 24 years old. And now the freaking guy is 30. (laughs) Unbelievable. Time just continues to bolt on by. So happy 30th birthday to Aaron Judge. <laughs> you might be wondering why I'm laughing. I'm I'm laughing because of this next thing. <laughs> Remember the stupid freaking Yankees letter that's been sealed for like... I don't even know at this point because I honestly just don't care. But maybe like months, maybe even a year-ish, and people everywhere who detest the Yankees thought that the letter contained information pertaining to the Yankees possibly having done a similar or maybe even identical method of sign-stealing to the scale of the Houston Astros in 2017. (laughs) Well, bad news for Yankees haters. The letter was finally, thankfully, so we can move on but it was finally unsealed. And it contained basically nothing of importance. (laughs) It revealed that the Yankees used the video replay room in 2015 and partially into 2016, it stopped in 2016, to decode signs, which did cost them a $100,000 fine, Pennies for the Yankees, obviously, but $100,000 fine. But there was no illegal sign stealing by the club in 2017 
when Major League Baseball began its crackdown, which a lot of people expected to read that they did do that in 17 like the Astros did. So pretty much a nothing burger. But not only that, not only was it not being used in 2017, which also made this a nothing burger, but it also says that they used their video replay room to decode catcher's signs and relay them to home plate from the runner on second, or from a runner on second, if there happened to be one, which multiple teams apparently were already doing for some time. Especially even without video throughout the years. If they just happened to catch on to the signs and they were able to decode them on their own, then they would always usually relay signs from second base to the hitter. It did not find that they were illicitly using center field cameras like the Astros did and relaying the signs in live time from the dugout throughout the whole game. Big difference. So with all these combined, it just turned out to be a big dud the letter. It really did. Really nothing to cause an uproar in the baseball community. Nothing really there. And that's why when they've been mentioning it here and there for months on end, and they would talk about unsealing it every now and again, I barely gave it any attention. At the most, I'd do a brief mention, but just leave it at that. Not because I'm a Yankee fan, but because in my eyes, truthfully, And I've said this in the past, so you know it's true. This isn't just because the letter came out, now I can say this for sure. I've said this in the past, and I mean, there's proof of it, because how many episodes have I even mentioned this thing in? Hardly any. Brief mentions, at the most, that's it. And whenever I did mention it, I did say right here on the show that I don't think this letter is going to really turn out to be anything. And the reason I did that was because in my eyes... It might as well have had the letters N-O-T-H-I-N-G in that order written across it. Nothing! I mean, using the video replay room and then relaying signs for a runner on second to flash to whoever's up at the plate after having decoded them once with just video replay? Yeah, it's still a method of sign stealing or sign decoding. And yeah, they should be punished, I agree with that, hence the fine. I think that's appropriate for non-live sign-feeding or decoding. Just using the video replay room to decode signs, and then whenever there's a runner on second base, to relay those signs to the hitter from that runner on second base. Not with a live camera and using noises like a trash can to relay what pitches are coming in live time, like Houston did, for instance, for every single pitch... There is a colossal difference in the two methods. What the Yanks did, and not that it makes it right, it's still cheating to a degree, it is, it's, you're decoding signs, and you're using a video replay. It's not live time, it's not as dire as that, but you're still using a video replay to decode signs. And again, this doesn't make it right. Two wrongs don't make a right. I've said that many times, and I do not want to sound like a hypocrite when saying this. I stick by my word. But it's been said by the league that this was a a scheme that tons of teams were also using for some time. And even with this letter now, there's no proof stating that the Yankees, or anybody else really, used the same method to relay signs in live time that the Astros did in 2017 and even a bit in 2018. 
as the original breaking of the Astros sign-stealing scandal in late 2019 outlined when that original story came out in The Athletic. Because again, that report, of course, confirmed that that scheme took place with the Astros in 2017 and at least part of 2018. And the Red Sox did something similar, but it was, it was said to not, also not be quite on the scale as Houston. So with all this being said and finally being revealed to just really be nothing to look at at all, I'm just glad this letter was finally unsealed. And I was saying for a while to just unseal the damn thing. I was saying that on social media because I just wanted to move past this. Just so we can finally see that the story in the letter was not a fraction of what lots of people who hate the Yankees were hoping that it would be. And now, hopefully, we can just move on with our damn lives because I'm so sick of hearing about this God-forsaken letter. Enough already. The proof is there, unless there is something so unbelievably covered up that nobody knows about. But as of right now, in public knowledge, even this letter that anti-Yankee people have been making such a big deal about, it has been unsealed and revealed to the public that nobody has done a scheme on the scale of the Astros scheme like they did in 2017 or at any time, really. And the Yankees were just, just using a video replay room to decode signs and have someone on second base just flash it to the hitter. Not nearly the same thing as using a camera in center field, or just in the outfield in general, and relaying it via noises from the dugout to the hitter as to what pitch is coming for each and every pitch. In live time, very different. Very different. So let's move on. The Astros did this. Fine. It's five years ago already. I'm still a little angry about it. Probably always will be because the Yankees were a casualty along the way with the Astros' playoff run. But like I also say, maybe the Yankees could have afforded to score more runs in Houston too. Just saying, because it's not like it helped the Astros pitchers or hindered the Yankees hitters at all. So there's that to look at. But also, obviously, it still gave a bit of an unfair advantage when they were playing in Houston to the Houston hitters. A, a lot of an unfair advantage, I should say. Because they still knew what pitch was coming. And that's a massive advantage no matter how which way you spin it. But regardless, we know now that nobody else has done it on that scale before or after the crackdown of it. And besides, as the letter states, the Yankees stopped doing this harmless video replay room sign decoding thing during 2016. Like in the first half, they stopped already. So when the crackdown took place, nothing was going on, and they never did a scheme on the scale of the Astros. So let's move on. Letter done with, thank Christ. <laughs> Let's move on with our lives. So that's the deal with that. And the last piece of news, rosters. Now we know that they were planning on cutting rosters as of the 2nd, May 2nd. But this past week, there was a slight modification to it between the league and the Players Association. Now, the maximum of 13 pitchers on active rosters, that was what was set to happen on May 2nd. So it was supposed to go down by two or three, depending on what you decided to go with, 15 pitchers or 16 pitchers. The Yankees originally went with 16 and the 12 hitters. That was set to take place on May 2nd. But we'll now instead 
go into effect on May 30th. So almost in June. Now, on the 2nd, until the 30th, the change, a 14-pitcher maximum will be in place instead of 13. And this is because everyone's trying to, understandably, protect pitchers with the shortened spring training, trying to protect their arms and prevent as much injury as possible. So, for now, they'll still be able to stick with a 14-pitcher maximum except for 13. The 13-pitcher maximum will now take place on May 30th instead of May 2nd. So they just push things back a little bit. And speaking of the roster, just a couple of moves made this past week by the Yanks that I guess I should mention. They did place Aaron Hicks on the paternity list, as I mentioned before, since his kid was born. So congrats to him and the rest of the Hicks family. He has since returned from the paternity list, but they did bring up Andujar in the meantime to take his place on the roster when they placed him on the paternity list. And Andujar did appear in Friday night's game yesterday to pinch hit. So we have seen Andujar already. And when Hicks did return at the end of the week, instead of sending Miggy back down, they sent Ron Marinaccio down. So at least for now, we won't be seeing him. And on the second, again, that's when the rosters will officially decrease with pitchers to 14, a maximum of 14, not 13 like it was originally scheduled to happen, 14. So that's only a couple of days away from happening. We'll see what happens with that. And it might not be anything pitchers-wise for the Yanks because when the 14-pitcher maximum takes effect, their 28-man now, the 28-man roster, stands at 14 pitchers and 14 hitters right now since they sent Marinaccio down. So they're already at 14 pitchers, as of the last time I looked at least, but... The roster still does have to decrease to 26 overall because we've been at a 28-man to start the year. And regardless of pitcher maximum, the roster still does have to decrease to 26. So I'm thinking if the Yankees want to stick with 14 like they do have already, then we might get two guys, two hitters rather, sent down. And and that'll be that, to decrease to 26. But if they do want to send one pitcher and one hitter down, I definitely do think that with the decrease regardless, and Duhar is going to go back down. But I just don't know who the second one would be, whether they go with a hitter, maybe like LeCastro, or I don't think Marwin Gonzalez is going down. So maybe either LeCastro, if they want to go with a pitcher, I guess the one that they can most afford to send down is... Clark Schmidt? If I had to say. Yeah, because even running down this list of pitchers right here. Yeah, I'd say I'd say Clark Schmidt is the one that you that you send down first. So if they were gonna send people down, which they're gonna have to, the rosters are decreasing in twenty six. It's just that instead of going with a thirteen pitcher maximum, they're leaving it at fourteen for now. But regardless, the roster is decreasing by two as of the second. So I think Miguel Andujar is definitely gonna go back down. And along with him, I think it might either be another bench piece in LeCastro, or if they do want to send a pitcher down and go down to 13 anyway, then I think it's going to be Clark Schmidt. But we'll see what happens when it officially takes effect. I assume we're going to get official news on this some point tomorrow evening after the game is over, or today, this evening, when you're hearing it, Sunday. We're going to be getting an update on it because heading into the second on Monday, they're going to already have to have this decided, so... All right, recap time. (laughs) A lot of you might be saying, oh my God, Mike, you sound much, even more hyped up than usual because you always sound hyped up, which I always do. I try to. 
despite how tired I am, but <laughs> but you sound even more hyped up tonight, and I am, because I usually don't record at night. I usually record in the earlier part of the day on Sundays, but today, I've gone through the whole day, grabbed myself a nice workout before down in my basement. Yes, I have my own gym in my basement. Me and my brother kick our own asses down there. <laughs> we work really hard, as you've probably seen from pictures on social media, me posting myself and how I'm looking, but... Grabbed myself a nice workout, had a nice post-workout dinner, have watched a chunk of the Yankee game up until now, now they're in the bottom of the seventh inning, as the game continues on here, Yanks still up three to nothing, so watching the Yanks, worked out, ate dinner, feeling good, (laughs) feeling good right now, so let's keep on rolling. Let's jump back into the Yapping Yankees time machine, and go back to last Sunday, even though Last week's episode ended with me being able to speak mostly about last Sunday's game because I recorded fairly deep into it by the end of it. It was, I don't even remember what inning it was, but I'll just give you the final results of the game since we spoke about a lot of the things that happened already. I know I at least got in mentioning that Gallo finally got his first extra base hit and his first RBI with it, I believe. Um, I can't really remember for sure, but... And that was pretty deep into the game, I'm pretty sure. But we'll just go over the final results of that and then just recap the rest of the week up until Saturday night at the time I'm taping right now into Sunday because most of this game's already over. And if these results hold up, this 3 to nothing lead that the Yankees have right now, now they're in the bullpen, Miguel Castro's in the game, then it'll be their eighth win in a row and uh, we will have officially gotten in the final result of this game, which again, I'm not sure will happen by the time this recording's over. But we'll see. But the game's already mostly almost over. So let's get into recapping. Let's jump back to Sunday, the final game of the Guardians series before they officially completed the sweep towards the beginning of this awesome winning streak that they still are currently on and could very well continue tonight if this lead in KC in Game 2 holds up. Let's go! Alright, so Sunday's game, like I said before, is the final game against the Guardians. They would complete the sweep. I do not 100% remember at what point we left off last week's episode, what point in the game it was. The game was going on while I was recording. But again, Garrett Cole, like I was saying last week, looked terrific against the Guardians. Thank God I had predicted before the game even started, in my hope, that he was going to do a really nice job. I felt like he would. I predicted he would. And he ended up going six and two-thirds, only allowing four hits, one walk, and striking out nine, bringing his ERA down to four, which it was in the sixes prior to that, so that is definitely an improvement. Wandy Peralta would pitch an inning and a third after that, scoreless. And Ron Marinaccio would finish off the game. He'd allow two runs in the ninth inning, but the Yankees were up 10 to nothing at that point, so who the hell cares? <laughs> The Yankees would end up winning 10-2, and just a brief recap on what happened that day offensively. Anthony Rizzo hit a two-run shot in the bottom of the first. That was his fifth home run on the season at the time. Bottom of the second, RBI double by DJ made it 3-0. Aaron Hicks had that weird situation where, again, that ball dropped in in center field in front of Miles Straw, and that weirdly drove in a run. It went down as a... As flying into a force out, just an RBI force out, I guess. <laughs> it was really weird. 
Joey Gallo, as I said before, I know I mentioned this last week, so that means we were at least in the third inning. (laughs) But Joey Gallo got his first extra base hit finally and his first RBI on an RBI double driving home Josh Donaldson. That made it 5 to nothing. after Hicks's RBI force out made it 4 nothing. Isaiah Kiner Falefa sack fly that made it six to nothing. And now that I'm talking about this, I remember that it was at least six to nothing. I remember saying that last week by the time I was done recording. But anyways, bottom of the sixth, two-run homer for DJ, pulled it into left field. A great sign showing power, pulling it to left field. He truly is just hitting it to all fields. Cause his beautiful inside-out swing that is so nice to see, having finally returned, hits it to right field. And then on a hit like this, just smacked it into the left field seats. And that made it 8 to nothing. two-run homer. Jose Trevino was on base. He would score as well. And then Tim LaCastro in the bottom of the eighth, just adding on beyond insurance at this point when they were already up 8 to nothing. Two-run homer himself, his first of the year. That made it 10 nothing. And then, of course, Marinaccio would add on those two runs. He would give the Guardians those two runs in the top of the ninth to make it 10-2. Yankees won 10-2, completed the sweep. That was their third win in a row at the time. Monday was an off day. Tuesday, the Orioles came to town, and I was just saying the whole time, my God, just begging the sweet Lord himself to just have the Yankees take care of the Orioles. And they did. (laughs) Luis Severino started the game. The final line looks a bit iffy, but, I mean, most of the start was just terrific. It was unreal. I'm pretty sure he took a perfect game into the fifth and maybe even a no-hitter into the sixth inning, I'm pretty sure. But he was doing really well up until the end there. And the final line was six innings, three hits, four runs all earned, two walks, and five strikeouts. Really good start overall. But that all came when, really, the Yankees did a chunk of their damage already, just a chunk of it. The Yankees scored 12 runs, like I mentioned before. This was on Aaron Judge's birthday, too, again. But here was the Yankees' offense on the night. It was explosive. Bottom of the third, Anthony Rizzo. The first of three home runs on the night, as I also said before. Aaron Judge's birthday, he might have hit a home run himself, but... As I also said, Anthony Rizzo also had himself a three-home-run night. Unreal. (laughs) So, the first one would come in the bottom of the third. Three-run shot. That made it 3-0. Bottom of the fourth. Joey Gallo. Like I said, this past week would finally go deep for the first time. A couple of times, this was his first one. Fly ball to center field. It's about time. Joey Gallo with his first home run made it 4 to nothing. Bottom of the fifth, Anthony Rizzo again. This time, it was a two-run shot, and that made it 6 to nothing, driving in DJ LeMahieu. So it was 6 to nothing at this point. And Luis Severino was pitching the definition of a gem. Top of the sixth, this is when he finally allowed a hit, I'm pretty sure, because I'm, I'm almost positive he didn't allow a hit before this. Yeah, he didn't. In the top of the fifth... He allowed a walk to Austin Hayes. And then the top of the sixth, the first hit he allowed was with one out. Jorge Mateo got on base, and Cedric Mullins walked. And then, it was really weird, Anthony Santander, he hit a home run in the left field, a three-run shot to make it 6-3, to three, which is why Luis Severino's line mainly looks the way it does with, uh, with the four runs being allowed, because he would then come out for the seventh inning, he would start off the inning allowing a double to Rugnet Dor, former Yankee Rugnet Dor, 
And after that, Severino came out of the game and Clay Holmes came in, but Clay Holmes would end up allowing an RBI single to Ramon Urias, and that fourth run was charged to Severino. So despite his awesome start leading up to Anthony Santander's three-run home run, that's where the four runs come from on Luis Severino's final line. But Santander's home run, again, it was really weird because it it looked like a very routine fly ball off the bat, just the way it looked coming off the bat. And then Gallo was just tracking back, back, back at the wall, and then it was in the first few rows in left field before you knew it. And even Severino was confused. He looked back, he looked at Higashioka, with, like, the utmost of confusion. He was like, that was a home run? <laughs> I've been doing so well up until now. Now my, my line is going to say three runs on it, at least for now. But it was a weird home run. But regardless, my point is, despite the line, Luis Severino did a very nice job. After him, Clay Holmes would pitch the inning. He would allow that run to score a charge to Severino, but he, he did fine anyway. Lucas Litke would pitch two-thirds of an inning. He has not looked that great to start off the season. Not that good. He allowed three runs at this point when the Yankees were up just by a ton. <laughs> but the rest of the offense after after that point, when those four runs were given up to Baltimore, it was 6 to nothing Yankees at that time. And those, those four runs given up actually made it a bit of a ball game at that point because they were within two now. But in the bottom of the seventh, Giancarlo Stanton got an RBI single to make it 7-4. to four, And then Glaber Torres with... Oof, probably one of the biggest hits of the season for him so far, got a three-run bases-clearing triple <laughs> to make it 10-4. to four. And it was just a line drive, landed in left field, went all the way to the wall. It was left center, actually, but it went all the way to the wall, cleared the bases. What a great moment for Glaber, who was just coming off of a walk-off as well a few days prior to that on Saturday against the Guardians, but I mean, what a hit for him <laughs> to make it 10-4, to a three-run triple. Just unreal. And at that point, in the top of the eighth, this was when uh, Lucas Litke started to, um, to have some trouble. <laughs> he would pitch two-thirds of an inning, and he allowed three runs, along with Loisaga after him allowing one, to allow the Orioles to get just within two runs again. So just like before, and the Orioles got within two being a 6-4 to four score, now it was 10-8. to eight. It was on an RBI single by Trey Mancini and then a three-run homer by Austin Hayes. So it was 10-8. to eight. So a game in which the Yankees were leading 10-4 to four and 6 to nothing at one point, the Orioles just wouldn't really go down without a fight. It was starting to get a little creepy. <laughs> But then the Yankee offense tacked on even a bit more. Jonathan Loisaga would get out of that eighth inning jam when the Orioles scored four, and then Chapman would close it down in the top of the ninth safely. But in that bottom of the eighth, the Yankees did tack on a couple more insurance runs thanks to Aaron Judge's birthday home run, a bomb to left field, and then Anthony Rizzo with his third home run of the game. <laughs> Unbelievable. A solo shot to right field, right into the short porch. Not far behind the 314 wall at all, like into the first or second row. But nonetheless, still counts all the same. It's Yankee Stadium. That short porch is right there, as I always say, for the opponent to take advantage of as well if they want to. But it's a home run. Still counts all the same. Yankees took a 12-8 to lead, and that would, of course, be the final score. A little fun fact also, Anthony Rizzo, by the way, missed the home run cycle 
by a grand slam even because his first home run was a three-run shot, his second one was a two-run shot, and his final one was a solo shot. So if he had hit a grand slam, not only would it be unbelievable just in the own right that it's a grand slam, (laughs) but he also would have gotten the home run cycle. (laughs) A grand slam, three-run homer, two-run homer, and a solo shot. So all of that on top of the fact that he would have hit a grand slam and would have had a four-homer game. (laughs) But nonetheless, a fun night, despite the Orioles making it a little interesting here and there. But a fun night. Yankees win 12-8 in a crazy game against the O's. Wednesday would come around. Jordan Montgomery would take the mound for the Yankees. He would again do just a fine job. The consistency just stays consistent with him. Five and two-thirds, four hits, two runs. Didn't want to come out of the game when he did, but he still did a fine job. And four strikeouts. So, the Yankee bats did back him up a bit when he came out of the game after he allowed those two runs. He allowed those two runs on another home run to Anthony Santander, a game-tying two-run homer at the time. And he didn't want to come out after that, but the Yankees did have his back with one more run in the bottom of the sixth and then two more in the bottom of the seventh, of course. But while he was in the game, just those two runs in the first inning on a two-run shot by John Carlos Stanton, first home run in a while. He had gone about 14-ish games, I believe, without a home run, 13 or 14, but he broke it with that, his third home run of the season. Top of the sixth, again, that was when Santander tied it. But then in the bottom of the sixth, right after the Montgomery came out of the game, back up. John Carlos Stanton, sack fly, 3-2 to two at that point. So at that point, it was John Carlos Stanton 3 and the Orioles 2. <laughs> then the bottom of the 7th came around, and Joey Gallo again looking more comfortable at the plate. Second day in a row doing it. Second home run of the season to right center field. Nice shot for Joey. You could definitely see him being more comfortable at the plate all the way up to today a bit. He's still striking out, obviously, and having his struggles here and there, but he does look more comfortable than he did before, before Sunday at least, when he when he finally got his extra base hit, his first one, his first RBI. Now he got his first two home runs. He looks more comfortable now than he did before all those things, that's for sure, which is unfortunate as to why he is out of this game today, here tonight, with this groin tightness that stinks. Hopefully it's nothing major at all. That's what you hope for, that he avoids an IL stint, and maybe he can he can even DH tomorrow if he can play. Still no word on how severe it is, but just holding out some hope here. But uh, for his own sake, since he looks comfortable at the plate, and when you do, you usually don't like to take time off so that that could have a chance to cool down. It's usually not something you like to do, so I can't imagine that Joey wants to do it. But anyways, he hit his second home run here, made it 4-2, to two. And then a wild pitch not long after that would make it 5-2 to two with Isaiah Kiner-Falefa coming home to score. That would, of course, be the final score in the game. And the Yankees would win 5-2. to two. The rest of the Yankees pitching after Montgomery would consist of two and a third scoreless innings by Michael King yet again, who I, you can't say enough about this guy. We've said it enough for weeks now. Even going back to last year when he was doing the same thing out of the pen. But again... Just cannot say enough how incredible Michael King has been out of that bullpen. Two and a third scoreless again here. And then Clay Holmes would end up getting the save with pitching a scoreless ninth. And that would be the ball game, five to two. So the Yankees would go for the sweep on Thursday and they would get it successfully. But this game started out really weird on Thursday. Really, just a really odd feeling to the start of this game. Jameson Tyone was on the mound. He didn't quite have it. He still managed to push through 
four and two-thirds innings. He allowed seven hits, only two runs, walked one, struck out four. Those numbers are fine, but the seven hits, he was getting hit pretty hard here and there, and he just, he had a problem retiring some guys, and and again, just a lot of the hits off him were really hard, well-struck hits. So he didn't quite have it, but he still fought through it. He only gave up two runs. It was in the top of the second on an RBI single by Kevin Gutierrez, and then on a RBI ground out by Trey Mancini in the top of the third in the infield that Cedric Mullins came home to score on, on the throw to first. So that's all that happened for Tyone, but the Yankee offense before that really just was not doing anything. And Higashioka had his mistakes behind the plate that inning be partially responsible for that second run coming home to score. So it was just a really really weird vibe to the game. It just felt odd. So everybody was really just waiting for the Yankee offense to just pick up and finally do something. And like I had mentioned before, Marwin Gonzalez was the one to help jumpstart that. In the bottom of the fifth, he started off scoring with an RBI double, scoring Tim LaCastro. And then Aaron Judge after that, on an RBI single, deflected by Rugnetto Odor, would drive home Marvin Gonzalez, who helped jumpstart the offense. He would be the game-tying run, and that would tie the game at two. So the Yankee offense finally started to wake up. Anthony Rizzo after that, an RBI single, three to two Yankees. And then Giancarlo Stanton, who again, I mean, starting with his home run in the game prior, seemed to be starting to show signs of waking up. And he continued it here with this RBI single to make it 4-2. to two. And then in the bottom of the sixth, Marwin Gonzalez wasn't done contributing because he got himself a sack fly driving home Joey Gallo to make it 5-2. to two. In the bottom of the seventh, Josh Donaldson, RBI single, making it 6-2. to two. A wild pitch in the bottom of the eighth would make it 7-2 to two, with Tim LaCastro coming home to score. And then Aaron Judge really blown the game open even more than it already was a three-run bomb to make it 10 to 2. That would be as many runs as the Yankees would score. And then in the top of the ninth, Marinaccio struggled a bit again. He would allow three runs on four hits in two-thirds of an inning, but then Lucas Litke came in to get the final out of the game, sealing the final score to officially be a 10-5 Yankee victory, their second consecutive sweep, their sixth win in a row, with the offense doing a terrific job, the bullpen doing an awesome job after Tyone, with Miguel Castro getting an out, Wandy Peralta pitching two-thirds of an inning, Jonathan Luizica going an inning and a third, striking out three, scoreless, Chad Green, a scoreless inning. Marinaccio had his trouble, but then Licky bailed him out, so it was fine. And plus, they were up 10-2 to at the time, so again, who really cares? <laughs> but the Yankees winning another great game, taking care of business against the Orioles, which, as I said before, do not downplay it. You should have learned your lesson, Yankee fans, after watching the Yankees fail at doing that last year. It is a good thing that they did this. Good thing. Stop downplaying it. Stop it. <laughs> and then... I guess last but not least, since it is now about to head into the bottom of the ninth in Kansas City in tonight's game here on Saturday night, I guess this is really our last game to recap on Friday, yesterday, or two days ago at the time you're listening to this, or maybe even more if you're listening later in the week, but you get the point. (laughs) I guess this is our last game to recap, really, because I said the very few amount of things that have already happened in tonight's game, because it's mainly a quiet game. 
Garrett Cole went six scoreless innings tonight. Miguel Castro pitched a scoreless seventh. Clay Holmes a scoreless eighth. And I guess we're going to be seeing Aroldis Chapman come in. It's the top of the ninth right now, but I assume the bottom of the ninth. The Yankees are still just up 3 nothing. I assume we'll see Chapman. And uh, that should be that if Chapman gets it done. It should be eight wins in a row for the Yankees. And in that case, going for their third consecutive sweep tomorrow afternoon on May the 1st. Or today for you. <laughs> If you're listening when I release this on Sunday, tomorrow. All right, so anyway, Friday, first game in Kansas City. This game, not quite like the weirdness that we felt in Thursday's game against the Orioles, at least until like the fifth or sixth inning, but this game was really odd. Nestor Cortez took the hill, and I will say right now he he did get his first win on the year after this, so congratulations to Nestor on that. His ERA after the fact is still just 131. He's just kicking ass, man. Unbelievable. But it was weird. In the top of the first, again, Anthony Rizzo, two-run shot, his ninth of the year. That's where we're at right now as far as home run total for him. His league leading, his sport leading nine home runs. This was his ninth one on a fly ball to center field, a two-run shot that made it 2-0. And then Stanton, like I mentioned earlier, with his effortless solo shot, seemingly effortless because that's the way he makes it look sometimes, his fourth home run of the year in a fly ball to left, that made it 3-0 right after Rizzo. So back-to-back with those two. So they jumped out 3-0 right away. And in the bottom of the first and the bottom of the second, the Royals did jump on Nestor Cortez a bit, which is odd because... Nestor hadn't really allowed this to happen much at all so far this year because he's been that good. So it felt weird. <laughs> Salvador Perez would hit a fly ball into left field that would land for a double, made it 3-1 to one Yankees. And then in the bottom of the second, Michael A. Taylor would just smack a really good outside slider to left center on an RBI single to make it 3-2 to two Yankees. It was a really good pitch. Just really good piece of hitting by Michael Taylor. So it was 3-2 to two right away. A lot of action offensively by both teams right out of the gate. And then it went quiet after that. Both offenses would go quiet until the seventh inning when the Yankees would reawaken and just pile on with runs to end the game in the seventh and eighth innings. Prior to the game being rained out for the ninth inning because there just seemed to be a monsoon that passed through Kansas City, the Kansas City area where Kauffman Stadium is. Tornado warnings, heavy rain, thunder, the whole deal. is like the end of the world. But the most important thing is that everybody's safe, and because of the score at the time, it was wise to just rain the damn thing out. So, anyways, the offenses just went quiet after Michael A. Taylor's hit in the second inning against Cortez. So Nestor would end up going the rest of the start after struggling through those first two innings, just laboring through. That's where most of the eight hits come from on his final line, but five innings, eight hits, only two runs, one one earned only, and three strikeouts. So, not the best of starts for Nestor, but he still got through five, got the win, and only one earned run. So, at the end of the day, he was still fine. Just not his best, but he was fine. And, again, that's when the offenses went quiet. And those two runs in the first and second innings were all that the Royals would score because all the way through to the end of the game... From Nestor from the third inning to the fifth inning, and then the bullpen after that, Luizaga for a scoreless sixth, Chad Green for a scoreless seventh, and Litke for a scoreless eighth. Those two runs were it. The Yankees just held it down pitching-wise after that. But the Yankee offense, again, when they would reawaken, 
in the seventh. DJ LeMahieu, RBI single. Aaron Judge, three-run homer, his sixth of the year. Like I said earlier, he's starting to just hit those home runs again, and when he does, look out. He's really turned it around from his slow start. Three-run homer to right center field. That made it 7-2, and they weren't done yet. Top of the eighth, Glaber Torres ripped a two-run homer into left field to make it 9-2, and then Kyle Higashioka, like I mentioned, him finally having an offensive contribution on Friday night last night. Here it was. A three-run double down the left field line. Three-run bases clearing double scoring Hicks, Connor Falefa, and LaCastro. That would make it 12-2. to Good to finally see Higgy do something offensively. The Yankees would win 12-2 by that score when all of that torrential weather came in for the ninth inning. And it would be... An eight-inning, weather-shortened, 12-2 Yankee victory. And tonight, they're in the bottom of the ninth right now. Chapman is on the mound. The inning is just getting underway. But if he's able to do this right now, the Yankees should win 3 to nothing. And I see the Mets are losing to the Phillies right now. So if that holds up, going into May 1st, tomorrow, today for you guys, the Yankees should have the best winning percentage, basically the best record in baseball. We like when the Yankees and the Mets have the two best records and winning percentages in baseball. It's a lot of fun when that happens. Things we like to see. That. So, (laughs) but it's looking like it's going to be another Yankee victory. I'm hoping. I'm hoping Chapman doesn't fool around. This would be his fifth save. Garrett Cole's in line for the win. His ERA is now down to three. So if this game holds up as is now, Chapman would get his fifth save if he completes this inning. Garrett would be 2-0 and with a 3 ERA, definitely very different from after his first two or three starts to start the year, definitely much different. The Yankees would have another shutout, and they'd win 3-0, going for their ninth in a row on Sunday, and their third consecutive sweep with Luis Severino on the mound against Daniel Lynch. That would be tomorrow, today for you guys, May the 1st. And hopefully they are able to get it done. That would be so freaking awesome. My God. So a bit of a quieter night offensively for the Yankees. They just very calmly scored their runs. Just putting up one spot in the second inning on the double play ball by IKF. And then another run in the third inning on Glaber's sack fly, scoring Donaldson. And then another one in the fourth inning on a sack fly by IKF. And nothing's happened since. Just a very calm offensive night. I mean... A calm offensive night had to happen eventually because if you look at the last five games before this one, the Yankees have scored 49 freaking runs in their last five games before tonight. (laughs) That's almost 10 runs on average per game. Oh, God. We Yankee fans have had to endure a lot of offensive frustrations these last couple of years, so seeing this... Regardless of opponent, and even if it is for only the last, I don't know, five, six games, just it is nice to see at any time. (laughs) So, this is awesome. I hope they complete this win. That's one out. Nice. All right. That's good. Chapman just uh, got Olivares to ground out back to him. Now it's going to be Emmanuel Rivera up. Hopefully he can get him and Whit Merrifield out right away because uh, Rivera's pinch hitting for Nicky Lopez, so... All right, so really quick before we wrap up, let's look ahead for the next two weeks until we talk again on May 15th. Just a really quick rundown of what the Yankees have coming up. After they finish tomorrow's or today's game 
on Sunday in Kansas City. They will then move on to Toronto for a three-game series Monday through Wednesday on May 2nd through to May 4th. The first game on Monday will be at 7.07 p.m. Eastern. Jordan Montgomery will take on Ross Stripling. Tuesday's game will also be at 7.07. Tyone against Alec Manoa. God help the Yankees against him. He just constantly kills them. And Wednesday's game, the final game of the three-game set, will also be at 7 o'clock. A pitcher for the Yankees has not been announced for that one. Thursday's an off day. Friday, Yankees return home for a three-game weekend set against the Texas Rangers. Friday night's game on May the 6th is at 7.05. Saturday's game on the 7th is an afternoon game at 1.05. And Sunday's game, the final one on the 8th, is also an afternoon game, but at 1.35 in the afternoon. Monday the 9th, off day. Tuesday, quick two-game set at home against the Blue Jays. Kind of weird, but whatever. Tuesday night's game will be at 7.05. And then Wednesday's game is set to be at 12.35. Really early in the day on a Wednesday. That's just annoying. And then Thursday, the Yanks hit the road to start a four-game set in Chicago against the White Sox. Thursday night's game on May 12th is at 8.10. And then Friday night's game on the 13th. Friday the 13th is at 8.10 as well. Saturday, 7.10 at night, Saturday the 14th. And Sunday the 15th when we speak next, that game will be at 2.10 in the afternoon, again in Chicago against the White Sox. So just a little bit of a look ahead for the next two weeks until we speak again on the 15th. But anyways, guys, that's we're fully caught up with the recap. And since there is no social media segment for today's show, we still went a bit over an hour because I just can't, again, cannot shut up. But because there is no social media segment, that is all for episode 138 of Yapping Yankees Today, my friends. Lots to get through still, a lot to talk about, but a blast as always. Please remember, guys, to follow me on all social medias, Facebook fan page, Mike Scudero NY. Twitter is at Mike Scudero, and Instagram, MikeScuds97. Please also remember to subscribe to Yapping Yankees on all four of the platforms it's available on. That's YouTube, Apple, Spotify, and SoundCloud. Leave a like below if you're listening on YouTube, and leave a review on all the others if you're listening on any of the other three. Show your usual love, guys. And if you have the time, you might have missed an episode from the past, so if you have... You can listen to any of the Yapping Yankees past episodes that you have missed. Episodes 34 up to episode 138 today are all available on YouTube. And every single Yapping Yankees episode, including today's going all the way back to episode 1, three years ago, are available on Apple, Spotify, and SoundCloud. Once again... Thank you, 3,000, for listening to me yap today, my friends. I am Mike Scudero, and I will talk to you in two Sundays. We're taking off again next Sunday, May 8th, for Mother's Day. I do hope all of the amazing mothers out there have the amazing Mother's Day that they deserve, especially my mother, who is objectively the greatest mother on the face of the earth. Sorry if you disagree with that, but I think that's the truth. So... Happy Mother's Day to all the mothers in advance. I'm going to be taking off next Sunday for Mother's Day, but I will be back at you with episode 139 on Sunday, May 15th. 
I'll be back with episode 139 of Yapping Yankees then. But until then, hang in there, be patient, please stay safe, look out for your loved ones, and since I'm not talking to you until the 15th, I guess have a good next two weeks, my friends, and again to all the amazing mothers out there, have a happy Mother's Day next Sunday. As I look to my TV on my left to see that the Yankees just won three to nothing. Let's go. Eight wins in a row. What timing that is. The episode's ending. The game just ended. Eight wins in a row. Let's get that sweep tomorrow. Let's just do it. Nine wins in a row. Three sweeps in a row. God, how beautiful that'd be. Hope Severino goes out there and the offense goes out there tomorrow and opens up a can of whoop-ass, and I hope Joey Gallo's okay, too. I don't like to see anybody get hurt. But what a note to end on, my friends. So again, have yourselves a nice next two weeks until I talk to you next time on the 15th with episode 139. And to all the mothers again next Sunday, please have yourselves a happy Mother's Day. Take care, my friends. (laughs) 